This episode is with Dr. John Dedick, an Air Force flight surgeon, radiologist, athlete, scholar, and father of a male graduate of the academy who was also a Pink Panther. As a cadet, John sang in a cadet chorale and fought in the Wing Open Boxing Championship. He, uh, upon graduation, John went directly into med school at Tulane, which was a short drive from Pensacola, Florida. <laughs> That's classic. This is, this is the old amateur hour cluster that we do all the time. <laughs> well, John, thanks for being part of this. The, uh, the first question I always like to ask is what message do you have for the uh, incoming class, the current cadets, the recent grads, and the old goats like us? Well, I would just tell everybody to go there, work hard, and the people below you, treat them good. So why why did you go there in the first place? I went there because when I was at Boy State, I met a Air Force Academy guy who impressed me, and I then spoke to the banker's daughter in town, who was a hot chick, and she was impressed. She had been there. And finally, my guidance counselor got all excited when I told him I was interested in it. And next thing you know, I'm putting in an application. How'd that go? Uh, it went well. I did my, I had to leave my little small town in Iowa to go to Chicago for one test, physical, and then to Omaha off at Air Force Base for another uh, physical exam. So there's a lot of traveling around to be ready to go. So how, now you say small town in Iowa, tell us about that. What was, what was, what was growing up like for John Dieter? I graduated in a class of 64 people and uh, going to the academy was uh, anxious for me because, you know, everybody's a valedictorian, salutatorian, Eagle Scout, uh, student body president, all these incredible things. And uh, I'm from a small town doing all this. So I'm thinking, here's guys that go to their senior class had more people in it than my entire town did. Yeah. So it was intimidating to me, but it was a opportunity to go someplace, get a great education. And uh, our family wasn't financially endowed, although I had some nice scholarships. Uh, this was the best one available, and uh, it, they just had the most to offer. That was the, that was the uh, choice, huh? Did you ever think, were you thinking of flying when you showed up, or was, did you have a different plan? Well, that was another thing I was worried about. At the time, everybody going there, except for 15%, were pilot qualified, and I was never pilot qualified. So well, I went there as navigator qualified. Because so, you were like one of the best athletes. What was your What was your situation on that? I was not recruited, although I was working during uh, beast training. Somebody from the football team came up and tried to recruit me, and I said no. And then someone from the baseball team came up and recruited me later. Did you make the baseball team? I did. So you got to be on the baseball ramps as a freshman? As a freshman, I sat there with Jimmy Doe, and I have a great story about Jimmy Doe. Yeah, go ahead. Share it. <laughs> so Jimmy Doe was on our team, and uh, he, after recognition, we had a game. He showed up, 
got three straight hits. I mean, he was so loose. He also got picked off base three times. <laughs> that would be Jimmy. <laughs> That's pretty cool. How did how did you do in the uh, the freshman year uh, with the military and everything? Uh, I walked with my chin in, shoulders down and back, and I had no other choice than to accept what the military was because I was I had never been around it. So it was again anxious for me, but you just have to stick in there and find some good people to hang out with. Now, where'd you do a uh, dual year? What squadron? I was in uh, Thirsty Third Squadron. Okay, so old dorm guy. Old dorm guy. What What was uh, after the f- f- dual year? What uh, What did you do that summer? Uh, I had Siri soaring and leave. Oh, so you got to do the soaring program. Right. What got, what got you into that? I heard it was a good program to check out, so I did. And uh, I had an interesting story that coming in on, on my solo flight, I was all over the air on my landing. And then I realized the plane will land itself, kind of like a woman delivering a baby, which <laughs> I stood at the end of. Just stand back. And it'll take care of itself. So the plane, I just kind of loosened up on the controls, let it fly itself in for a perfect landing. And just like delivering my last baby, I just stood back and the baby popped out, <laughs> cut the cord, and we moved on. But did you now, did you continue doing that uh, sophomore year? My sophomore year, I dropped out of baseball and, you know, it was just in the squadron working trying to keep my grades up for medical school. So, so that was the, uh, the motivation was the uh, medical school. When did you decide to become a doctor? I had plans on that while in high school. Any uh, reason for that? Any, any motivation there? We come from a small town that if you got good grades, they would expect you to be a doctor or a lawyer. <laughs> okay. And that, so that was that was kind of the, the peer pressure of the of the town. Uh, family pressure, peer pressure of town, and I wasn't going to fly. So let's be serious. As a navigator or anything other than a pilot, your chance of career uh, advancement was going to be minimal. So yeah. being a doctor made a lot of sense. Plus, it gave me a chance to fly by being a flight surgeon. That's cool. So. Um... I need to ask you about the introduction to the insanity group known as the Pink Panthers. <laughs> what what was that like for you? Well, we had just a really close squad and we were there. People got along and they were not very militarily oriented like my previous squadron. So I enjoyed the people who was in 36 Squadron. Now, did you go to... Uh... How many, how many trips to Palmdale did you make? Two. No, three. So I, did two, okay. I did two. I did two at the academy with you guys. Okay. And then I came back after the academy as a chaperone my first year in medical school. Well, that's cool. <laughs> so you enjoyed that. I think uh, for the folks listening in, that Palmdale thing was a pretty special deal for our cadet squad. And it was... 
it was one of the things that helped us bond as uh, buddies because we uh, we got a uh, got away from the zoo for a few days and got to go to Southern Cal. And we were there to help these debutantes walk their aisle or whatever it was for them. But it was a good chance for us because the first year they paid for us. And after that, we not only paid our own way, but we also collected money to donate to their charity. Yeah. Yeah, no, that was, it was good all around. It was, it's still the most amazingly good deal I think any cadet squadron had at the academy when we were there. From what I know, I don't know if the other guys, they did that. Do you, uh, do you remember being a first sergeant of the squadron at all? I remember serve, uh, serving the position under Micheletti, but and nothing what? really significant happened. <laughs> well, there's some duallys that apparently served under us that still remember you as being one of the tougher guys. So that's pretty cool. Well, you know, in retrospect, I wish I wasn't so hard on them. My son was a 2004 grad, and he learned early that you take care of the people underneath you, take care of the troops, and just set a good example for him, not be such a hard ass. And uh, I think he was right. He did really well. He was a squadron commander of a squadron that was squadron of the year. Wow. So uh, he had a very successful career by taking care of the people he worked with and they were under him. Now, and he's, he's now in the Pentagon doing great working for the Secretary of Defense. That's great. Yeah, I wanted to uh, highlight the fact that you are the only Pink Panther of our, of our class of, of our, that has a son who graduated from the Academy. Right. And he had a tough time there. Matter of fact, his first year, uh, he was triple pro. He was given a lot of advice to do, but he just got in trouble and he kept challenging the upperclassmen because back then with him, if they made you do 10, they had to do it with you. So he just challenged them and kept going through upperclassmen after upperclassmen. <laughs> so he got a lot of trouble and was going to be booted out. But th to his uh, goodness, a lady there was a grad. She was one of the first women at the academy and she was on the honor committee and took him under her wing and took care of him and then rock being a legacy got to go to 36 squadron oh really and, and next thing you know he's like one of the top five cadets in the wing oh wow by switching to a new squadron by going over to the to the pink side <laughs> going to the pinks <laughs> that's cool uh i i remember uh that that's that's a great story i remember he uh was part of a flyby at one of the Seahawks games, and uh, I'll never forget sitting there. And they they always announce a crew at the third quarter, let him stand out in the end zone. They put his name up there on the lights, and I I texted you as quick as I could. I wasn't fast to get a picture of it, but I I remember texting you live during that game. That was pretty cool. That was great. I appreciated that. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, the other the other thing that I think I know John was is not not I wouldn't say humble but he's very uh, proud of his academic uh, prowess you were I believe you were the top class cadet in our class in the squadron on the military merit is that right in the MOMs uh, I don't know about that um, I did well academically and you know I'm trying to get into medical school that was the most important thing yeah and I and I'll just share for the crowd that we were roommates for a little bit of time 
I, I was famous for being a GPA killer, so John got rid of me as soon as he could. No, Pat Murray was the one I needed to get rid of because he would turn on the lights at taps and have to have them on all night so he could study. <laughs> Which was a yeah, that that's that was an oxymoron, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for, for especially for Pat. Oh um, but you were also a, a hell of a uh, intramural athlete and I and I wanna highlight a couple of things. One was uh, the rugby uh, that you played. You were really good at that. Do you remember uh, any any specifics about seven-man rugby? I remember one game we were winning in the championship game, and this was with third squadron. We were ready to win it, and I took myself out so somebody else could get a chance to play, and the next guy went over where I would have been and scored a goal, and we lost. Ah. Oh, Try. And so I was in about three wing championships – in rugby that uh, always runner up. So bummer. Yeah. I, I only played the one year, our first year and that, we got beat by uh, Harry Freer. I never forget that. I don't, I think he was in 27 by the way, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Yeah. That was, that was cool. Making it to the finals. And then did you also play the eight man football? I did the eight man football. Interesting story there for third squadron. I was a quarterback and, uh, I broke my hand oh. and it was my uh, left hand, but they wouldn't let you play football with a wrist uh, cast on. So before every game, the seniors would go ahead and wash my cast off so I could play the game because I was their quarterback. <laughs> to about the third time when I went in there to get a cast put on, the guy said, "You, if this cast comes off again before we take it off, you will be in trouble. <laughs> That's a classic. Yeah, and then, and then so obviously your fist, your your left hand healed because you uh, decided to try some boxing. I boxed at third squadron because I was the one closest to heavyweight, even though I weighed 172 pounds. And uh, they put me there. And the interesting story there is for me to practice, they had me go against our squadron commander, who was a big guy, 220 pounder. But they said, this is a uh, practice. So John, uh, or Cadet Force Class Dedic, <laughs> you, you can't swing. You just practice defense, and he's going to beat the crap out of you. <laughs> and that's how they did it. Oh, my. So. Well, come on. Tell, tell us the story. A, a, the first story was the squadron winning the championship one year. In boxing? Yeah, in 36. Uh-huh. Yeah, we had some good boxers. We had Jimmy Doe had the quickest hands you could imagine, and then uh, Tom, I think Tom Det, no, not Tom Detmer, but uh, Eskridge was on the team. Matter of fact, Vince Ortiz was on the team. I've got that picture of our squadron in my office. The and, guys who uh, boxed. And Steve Press was out there. I remember him uh, scaring the crap out of Dooley's <laughs> pops. It was snarling before the uh, before the bell would ring on the first ring. He'd run across the ring trying to swale at him, scaring him half the day. <laughs> yeah, Steve was a Steve was an intimidating looking guy. Yeah, not today, but then back then he was really something else. And then, of course, you went on and and you liked boxing enough to take on the entire wing. Well, I don't know if I liked boxing enough. It's just that I had the opportunity, so I did and. 
I fought in the wing open and we had a really good aggressive fight myself and Bill Rady, but uh, the smarter fighter won that night. How did you, uh, did, was that a voluntary thing or was that something you got nominated for? How did you uh, end up in that tournament? I don't know. I just, <laughs> I really don't understand how I ended up in it, but it was an opportunity and I ended up doing it and got to the, to the open and uh, the previous fight, the semifinal was where was my toughest fight. Mm. And the guy had broken my nose. So in the finals, you know, the first punch to my nose has started the blood going. So Brady was a smart boxer. He just kept holding the whole time because he didn't want to trade punches. Yeah. Which is smart. Yeah. No, I don't. I know. I know from experience of being your roommate, maybe you don't want to get in a tough tussle with John Dietrich when he's mad because he'll, he'll put you away. <laughs> he, he, he doesn't have a mean bone in his body, but he'll defend himself and crush you if you're not careful. Yeah, I've only thrown a punch outside the boxing ring on a f- football field, rugby field, anywhere in Siri. And uh, remember we had POW camp? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they had you on that one-legged stool? Yeah. And they put the mask over you or whatever. Or anyone, somehow one night I was, must have been mouthing off or whatever while we're in there, and you're sleep-deprived. And the uh, cap, the guy comes in there, says, you you are, are uh, going to see the commandant and he grabbed me Uh-oh. and next thing you know, I clocked him <laughs> and he went down and all of a sudden I come out of my fugue sleep state and realize, oh crap, I've just knocked out a upperclassman. Yeah, well. <laughs> well, anyway, next thing you know is I'm sitting back down, they left and I never saw him again that night. No, yeah, of course not. Probably, probably hit an upperclassman from West Point or Annapolis. You know, one of those visiting upperclassmen guys. Did you, uh, did you have any special uh, academic stories for us? Uh, you know, one thing there that was good was I was in the Protestant Choir and Cadet Chorale. Yeah, and those are the best things for all four years because we traveled all over the country all the time and. And great aircraft and stayed at people's homes and met a lot of people. And uh, a story there was Tommy T. Wyman down in Fort Lauderdale gave away his bullet to a young lady down there. Well, didn't so, you guys get to go to like the Miss, Miss America or something? Matter of fact, we went to the Miss USA contest in 1976. And what was interesting about that is that's where my current wife first saw me. Really? How'd that happen? Well, it was on TV, and she was watching it. Okay, so she remembers you from TV. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we were able to – There were there's still some YouTube uh, recordings out there, and you can see Chris Sullivan real well and some other guys. Not me so much, but but my wife, Lori, made a comment that – a positive comment about the cadets – well, so. I I remember watching that and wherever the heck I was going, how in the world did these clowns getting to do this and all of us have to watch? You know, it was, just, <laughs> it was torture, torture for those of us that were female deprived at the time. <laughs> um, did you have any? Uh, let's see, you had third lieutenant, I'm sure, somewhere. I did third lieutenant overseas in Germany, Zweibrück, and and we had the RF four. We got to fly. Wow. 
that's cool. So that was a motivational thing to go up and that. And I had a pilot who was kind of a wild guy, probably a lot like you. His whole goal was to get me up in the air and see how quickly he can have me fill up my bag. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, I wasn't a pilot, but I never filled up a bag. So I, I, I could relate to that, watching that show happen. <laughs> uh I wanted to ask you a somewhat sensitive topic, and that is right before we graduated, you were you were freaking out about the med school admissions and stuff. Do you have a story about that? Well, interesting enough, I got accepted 17 December, so I was in the first group of guys accepted. Okay. And that worked out. But what happened while I was freaking out was, remember we got that problem with the honor board and me? I don't remember the details. I just remember that was a problem. And initially, it was ethics. Supposedly, I had done something to a dually. And when confronted by Tony in the workout room, I'd said something that nothing happened. And next thing you know, I'm in front of an honor board. Jeez. Uh, Mike, Mike Byron, basically, who was a fourth group honor rep, had me there. And no one talked to me at all prior to. And I'm in an honor board with my life career going to be decided that night. But what was good is the AOC at the other end of the table said, after a while, we're in there for like an hour or so. And he says, what are we doing in here? What did he do wrong? And finally it was over. I'm yeah. done. There was nothing to it ever, except a, a quick rush to judgment by someone. Was that pretty much your, your one and only real fear, uh, negative thing that happened? at the academy or well besides when we went streaking that night and and uh mooned <laughs> a command post and then we got back to squad and then we heard the uh, uh wing guys walk into which turned out to be tony and steve jorgensen yeah dressed yeah, it up actually, so it's actually paul prang but yeah no i <laughs> oh that's right it was paul <laughs> yeah Oh, man, that's still a famous story. We're all running, scattering like idiots, not knowing it's our own classmates doing it. <laughs> out to screw us. They were just out giving us a hard time. Yeah. They had fun. Yeah. Um, so you graduate, and I, and I know where you ended up, but you might want to tell the crowd where, where you ended up upon graduation. Well, I went to Tulane Medical School from there in New Orleans, and you visited me down there in your and Lotus. And vice versa. You came to see me in Pensacola when I was going through flight training. That's right. We were there for a rugby game. And uh, I remember going to your place for Mardi Gras mm -hmm. and several, several other events. But Mardi Gras was a, a big one. And we had at uh, Tulane, we had 10 of our uh, academy guys were there. We were the third largest class behind Tulane and LSU in our medical school. And then the class ahead of me, the two classes ahead of me had academy guys too. So Tulane was a popular place for the academy to go to because they knew that, one, they were going to get paid, and two, the guys usually caused them no trouble and went on to do well. Matter of fact, one of our classmates, Kevin Lally, uh -huh. who barely got into medical school and was in my school, uh, third squadron as a dually and did poorly, huh. he ended up graduating number one at Tulane Medical School and wow. Golden Scalpel and went on to become a pediatric thoracic surgeon. Wow. So even though he started out weekly there, he uh, he finally kicked it in gear and he went on, obviously, number one in Tulane Medical School and then go on to be a 
pediatric thoracic surgeon. I mean, how, how great is that? Wow, that, that's impressive. I, my memory of Kevin Lally is really bizarre. The, the morning, we spent the night in the hotel, then the morning uh, we had to pro- process in. My parents were down having breakfast, and there was this kid in, my cl- in our class who was there without his parents, and he wasn't, he wasn't sure how to get a ride to the, uh, to the base of the ramp. And uh, we gave him a ride, and it was Kevin Lally. Well, that was my story too. And I, I flew in from, my parents put me on the plane in Waterloo, Iowa. I flew in, landed Colorado Springs. Uh, one of my friends who knew a girl there who picked me up, drove me around, showed me Highway 24, dropped me off at a hotel. And the next day I got up and just found somebody going to Academy and hitched a ride. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. I mean, nowadays they have it well set up for them to get out there, which I think is fantastic. Well, what, I, I, I'm not sure how they do it now, but I guess uh, those those of you listening in, it's better, it's smoother than getting a ride from strangers to be dropped off at the ramp to get your head shaved. That's right. And <laughs> <laughs> get a bunch of shots in your arm and all that stuff. Oh man. Well, uh, so I'm curious on the because I know I know I was there for part of it. You also ended up at uh, uh, getting into radiology, right? Right. After medical school, I went to Keesler Internal Medicine, and then I went to flight surgeon school in San Antonio, then went out to Travis Air Force Base for two years as a flight surgeon, then I did radiology out there. So what what determines whether you're going to be radiology or uh, or flight surgeon? How does that, how's that all shake out? I uh, got done with my internal medicine and decided to I wanted to fly for a little bit so I did that for a couple of years and then said well I've got to grow up and be a be a man someday so I better find a job that'll you know I can do as a doctor so I became a radiologist I was going to be an orthopedic surgeon I was all lined up for that I had been at Wilford Hall and did a lot of work there but I realized I didn't want the hours that they had at the time and so I became a radiologist so when I when i was out of the military and looking for work. I drove to uh, Northern California and ran into you at Travis. Um, what were you, what was your job at Travis? I was, um, that's where I was a flight surgeon. If it was, depends what year it was. And then I went to, it was 82. So I was a, I was a flight surgeon. Interesting enough, my weekends as a, you know, I'd have off, but the weekends I'd go moonlight in the arts in Manteca or Sonoma wine country. And as a matter of fact, where I delivered my last baby, I was on call one night. And this is a hospital, 2.30 in the morning, a nurse comes in. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, it's one of those stories you only see on TV. And she said, no, get up. You got a baby to deliver. I said, nope, I don't have to deliver babies. That's not my contract. And she <laughs> said, you've got to do it. I said, uh, I don't make deliveries. I'm no pizza man. And she <laughs> just ripped my covers off, made me go in there. So I'm in there at the edge of the bed, waiting for this baby to come out. And the dad's got a camera. He says, hope you mind, but I want to show this to my law partners, my oh. first son being born. <laughs> because their they're, uh, OBGYN guy, his uh, Porsche had broken down to get him there from Marin <laughs> County. So he had to get his Mercedes going to come up there. So I'm the one having to do this. So I delivered the baby, cut the cord, and then Mr. Super Gynecolo- Gynecologist from Marin County shows up. 
And oh, before that, so I'm trying to live this baby, I haven't done one in years. And so my, my zipper is now rusty. The nurse looks at me like, I don't know anything what's going on here. I've never delivered a baby. <laughs> so we're basically two people just trying to hope to get by while we're being filmed by this attorney for his law <laughs> office. Oh, no. So anyway, so we delivered a baby and then the super gynecologist shows up and says, I'll deliver the placenta. I said, fine. I stepped away, let him do it. And uh, a month later, I get a letter from the hospital that I've been fired for letting a doctor with no privileges show up at our hospital and do a procedure. Really? Yeah. Which is good because I was getting ready to go into uh, radiology and I had another job I was doing. So it, 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 it didn't break my heart, but it just kind of ticked me off that I never wanted to deliver this baby. I certainly didn't want to be filmed by an attorney. And this guy shows up and gets paid a whole bunch of money for me doing most of the work. And then it's, and he's in violation of the uh, thing anyway. Wow. And nothing happens to him and I'm fired. Well, you know, that, that's okay. I mean, that, that stuff happens. It, it happens, but I'm sure, I'm sure if you decided to fight it, you could have won, but that's too much hassle sometimes. It was, think, it was the end of my time at that hospital. It was another hospital I was working at. So it was fine. Yeah. You need to, you need to pick your battles when, when it's important, when it's not. But that, that sucks. I feel for you. I, I, it's happened to all of us in some way, shape, or form like that. Where you get you get put in a position where you're trying to do the right thing and then it gets spun later that you did the wrong thing and you're like, well, whatever. <laughs> the kid, the baby didn't die. The, the mother was fine, right, John? I mean, everything's good there. Yeah. So... And our and life is always going to be that way. Things are going to turn out bad that should have been good, but we just learn to move on. Before we leave New Orleans, I wanted to ask you: Do you remember the Habad family that had that restaurant in New Orleans? I remember in Palmdale, we had the Haddad family. Who was the Who was the little? Uh... Lebanese family in Metairie, right there by your apartment. Oh, yeah, yeah. I hardly know them. We just barely knew them because after that one year out there, we moved downtown to be between okay. the okay. main and uh, medical school. No, I, I just remember that. It seemed like you had some really good buddies there because they were really friendly. They, they uh, I remember them just because that was one of my first times eating uh, Mediterranean food like that. That was, that was pretty cool. Yeah. So, um, I guess the next big phase was uh, you left the Air Force. I was finished my time with the Air Force. Uh, I had a, my son was born just before we left, and we moved up to Yuba City in California. I worked there a month, and then I was let go unceremoniously as the group decided they didn't need me anymore. This was a, a civilian job you took? My first civilian job out of the Air Force where they paid for me to move from one spot to another. And so I went there, bought this incredibly beautiful home for a lot of money at the time. And a month later, I'm fired. And the reason was, before I walked to the job, I said, are you guys sure you need me? They said, yes. I said, you sure there's nobody else that wants to be here? They said, yes. And I said, well, wait a minute, three of you had children who are radiologists. Don't any of them want to come here? And they said, no. <laughs> well, a month later, the uh, gal who ran the ran this group, she told me that we 
she she gave me the news that one of their sons decided he did want to join the group. So they had to clear out the youngest person, which is me, and I was fired and we're there. And now I'm doing locums, traveling wherever I can to get some work, which is fun. Turned out to be good. And then we moved to Idaho. I know. worked up there for 10 years. 10 years. Then in a hospital setting or? In a hospital setting. And then uh, same thing, radiology? In radiology. What? For those of us that don't know, what, what is the task of a radiologist? Radiologists look at the diagnostic x-rays, ultrasounds, you know, for babies and mammograms, CTs, MRIs, PET scans, just all sorts of imaging studies to diagnose a case. I'm curious, because uh, I, know, I know everybody has situations where they have to receive and deliver bad news. What is, what is your wisdom or what kind of advice can you give the folks that when they're having to deliver bad news? Uh, my dad came to uh, Idaho and uh, he was 72 and he, was, he wasn't feeling good, but he never would go to doctors. So I, he came to see us, his belly was hurting. And uh, I said, well, let me let Dr. Suits do an endoscopy on you and look at your stomach, see what's going on. So the next day, Monday, we went into hospital for my buddy, Dr. Suits, to look at him. But Dr. Suits is always running late. So the kill time, I said, here, Dad, let's go in the ultrasound room. I do an ultrasound on you. And I looked at his liver and it was full of cancer. Oh, wow. And he died three weeks later. And I had to tell. Uh, Yeah. Sorry about that. Well, I I don't know how you tell somebody. <laughs> it's tough. It is. It's really tough. Yeah, I, I've I've had to lay, I've had to fire people, and I usually try to spin it to the we put them in a position where they're not succeeding, and 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 uh, you know make it look like it's an institutional failure, not a personal failure. Um, but I know that in the world of medicine, especially in cancer stuff, it's uh it's some pretty bad news you guys got to deliver. And I, and I admire you for having the, the courage and the guts to do that. Well, and you, you, you try to do it in a way that gives people hope, but sometimes there is, yeah. you know, you just, you, you, you wish them to make things right with Jesus and your life afterlife will be fine. Yeah. No, that, that's, that's, that's the message. That's the big uh, takeaway that uh, we all need to have uh, in any time. So from uh, from Idaho, you ended up in Missouri. I then uh, left Idaho, moved to Missouri, took a job there in a big, big hospital. And uh, I uh, met my wife after I worked with that group in St. Joe. I moved to Kansas City at St. Luke's and was working there. Uh, in an academic environment, working with a bunch of residents, teaching them how to read cases and things, and uh, met my wife. We dated for about two, three years, and then we got married and moved out to uh, Las Vegas, Henderson, Nevada. Yeah. And uh, we were doing that to go to a hospital in Bullhead City, but that fell through. So, again, we just went on the road again, traveling. California, Arizona, Missouri, just different areas to work. And 
that was that was really enjoyable checking out all these different hospitals I went to. And most of the hospitals I went to were underserved hospitals like okay. El Centro in California or uh, Selma, California, places that they were real small. It was hard to get doctors and there was just a problem. So I always felt comfortable in the smaller hospitals and the people were in, needed help. And that's why after doing that for 20 years and doing well financially, uh, I listened to my son and my son-in-law who were complaining about in the military, there was no to take care of them. They had a problem with the doctor's physician oh, shortage. Really? So I thought, I thought, well, why don't I give in? I'd like to volunteer and work. So I contacted Nellis and said, I'd like to volunteer and work for you guys. They said, we can't do that, but we'll let you become a government GS for us and we'll pay you to work here. Wow. Wow. So that's what I did. And now are you still five years? Are you still doing that? I retired last November. Last November. Now November 2020. Now I I also know that you are a bit of a Air Force football fan. We when we went back there, I went back there uh, in uh, I think it's 2001 or so to watch a game to visit my son at uh, his uh, parents' day. It was uh, I went to the game. Never did sit down and watch. I just walked around all the time. Then I met one of our old classmates who was in charge of uh, donors. And uh, he told me about the press box. So I ended up buying some tickets to sit inside to watch the games. <laughs> okay. And until this year, I, I've had those tickets up till now. We're finally let them go. Yeah, that's cool. Now you've been a real dedicated fan for 20 years. We did. We would go to the games. We'd get up, fly down, fly to Colorado and uh, make the trip, watch a game, then fly back to Vegas. So looking back over 50 years, are you, are you glad you went to the zoo? I'm very glad, and I'm glad my son went. That's cool. Well, for the, for the folks who've stuck it out for this background music from hell, I, I apologize for that. I'll try and see if I can filter it out a little bit in the post, uh, the post thing. John, and, I, and I can't hear that music at all. Okay, so maybe it's not recorded, thank God. <laughs> maybe it's just in my head here. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I want to I want to tell everybody make sure they all know that you had a you have had a very interesting career and that you can pretty much do anything you want from the Air Force Academy if you do what John did, and that is work hard. Because he was one of the hardest workers we had in the squadron. Well, and the thing I'd like to add like about my son is when he went there and got in all that trouble his first year and he contacted me and I said, uh, like academics, he's doing poorly in. And I said, look, just tell him and do what you want to do. So he designed a course for him. Next thing you know, he's on the dean's list, the superintendent's list. And I said, all I got to do is you can do anything you want at the academy because you can be a pilot. And if you're a pilot, you've got a guaranteed job and you're going to be taken care of. And he took that to heart and did it. Now he's not a big fan of flying like, you know, Jimmy and Greg and all our classmates. Yeah. But he realized it was a, a great way to, you know, do well in the air force. And I encourage everybody there to understand that 
that's what you're there for is to fly. And if you are given that privilege to fly, then take advantage of it and do it. And you will always have something to do in life, whether it's for enjoyment or fiscal reward. Yeah. Well, thanks, pal. Thanks for doing this. Glad to do it, John. Mm-hmm.